0: If you have your Bibles, open them to 2 Peter chapter 1. We've been talking about the divine nature and the development of this divine nature in our lives and why we need to be a changed people, a transformed people, not the same as we were when we came into salvation, but full followers of Christ in every way. Peter writes to us in 2 Peter chapter 1 where he says, His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we know you've planted us places. You've given us children and grandchildren. You've given us friends and places to work and a city to live in where you want us to be fruitful. You want us to bear fruit in these places. And I pray that, Father, deep in our hearts there would be that desire in all of these places where you've planted us that we would be a people who bear fruit. And Lord, help us see that the pathway to that is to live a life increasing in the the character and the nature that, Father, comes from your throne room in our lives. So guide us today and direct us today to grow in you. In Jesus' name, amen. The form of the Bible is not uh, the important issue, whether you have a paperback version or a leather-bound version or whether you carry it around on a, on a, on a phone or some other device. That's not the important issue. What's, what's the important issue is the words, the proclamation that's there. The Bible is the most amazing and unique book ever written. It's actually 66 books written over a period of 1,800 years written by around 40 different authors, ranging in background from kings to peasants, farmers, judges, lawyers, princes, shepherds, soldiers, statesmen, musicians, singers, priests, preachers, prophets, fishermen, tent makers, tax collectors, and doctors. Written on three different continents, written in Europe, written in Asia, written in Africa by men who for the most part never even met or saw each other. Yet its moral claims and insight, its prophetic vision of the future, its words of peace to mankind, and its daily wisdom for our lives is unified. One writer put it this way. He said the Bible is God's inspired revelation of the origin and destiny of all things. It is the power of God unto eternal life, and it is the source of help and guidance in all areas of life. The nature and makeup of the world itself cries out that there is a creator, the balance of life, the order of the universe, the irreducible complexity of the smallest elements of creation all cry out that there's a creator. The miracle of life itself has left mankind all over the world through all generations and all time trying to figure out who did this and trying to reach out and discover and know God. So does it not seem right that a God who gave us this kind of intellectual capacity this eternal desire in our spirits, this self-awareness of our life, and this curiosity about who he is, who created us in concert with others, would reveal himself to us and show how to relate to him and how we should relate to each other. Wouldn't it make sense that, the one, that one of the main requirements of that revelation would be insight into his nature and wisdom and how we should relate to each other? Shouldn't that revelation contain clear instruction on how to live life today and what the plans are for our lives in the future? And I would tell you, yes, it does. And that the only writing in history that gives us a picture of the nature of God that is in unity with his creation and what his creation says about him. About his supply for us and his beauty and his wisdom and his strength. That the only writing that gives us a picture of how life with each other can work should work and will work if we obey it, and gives us a moral wholeness that if people live by that morality, live by that picture, that we can live in unity with each other without subjugating anyone under the thumb of somebody else. That the only book that gives us a picture of a future that is backed up by past predictions of of events that would happen at that time in the future and that have now come true, which backs up for us the reality that anything he says about the future now is also going to come true. The only book that does those things is the Bible, the Word of God, his revelation to us. When you read the Bible, you find peace, When you read the Bible, you find wisdom. And when you read and study and hear about the Bible, faith grows in our heart. Life as it was meant to be starts with us having faith in God and trusting God's will for our lives, putting our confidence in Him, and all of that is built in us as we know His Word. This faith leads to action. And as we have been looking at this passage of the Bible, we see this passage of the Scripture calling us to action. Peter is being used of God to call us to maturity in Christ so that we can learn to think and feel and act like Jesus and how he originally created us to think And feel and act. Friends, this is why we do Sunday morning. This is why we have starting point for you to go through. This is why we have C2 groups that you can get involved in and really begin to work out and practice your faith. This is why we have a quip on Wednesday night that we can learn to think and feel and act as Jesus originally designed for us to think and feel and act instead of being a people who are thinking and feeling and acting out of our evil desires and the corruption of this world. We want to be free from that. We want to walk in freedom from that. This is where we discover that we can start the, the walk in the fullness of life that Jesus has promised to us. And so here's where it begin. begins. Peter tells us to take our faith our trust in God and this great God who's revealed himself through the Bible and add to our faith virtue, knowledge, and self-control. And now he comes to it. We've looked at those three words over the last couple of weeks, and you can go back online if you missed them and, and pick them up. But now we come to this next thing that we're supposed to add to our faith, and it is called steadfastness. Now listen, this is such an important thing for us to capture as we grow in maturity in Christ. Steadfastness is the ability to walk without deviating from the path, without deviating from the path under a load. So a load comes upon us, life comes on us, and it gives us the ability to walk in faith without deviating from God's path, even when there's a load upon us. This is the marriage going through a rough time, but they choose to trust God and remain faithful and work it out through their life instead of giving up on it. This is the single person who may long for a relationship but stays morally clean And builds right relationships and refuses to compromise with what the world says is okay because they believe the word of God to be true. This is the parent who finds drugs in their child's room and chooses to intervene and stay the course of direction for that child in tough times because they believe that if they fulfill the role of a God-given parent living without hypocrisy and giving direction to that child, that it will give new life and direction to that child. This is any person facing a time where the easy path is to deviate from God's path And they choose instead, instead of giving in to the pressure of that moment, stumbling in that moment, falling away in that moment, doubting in that moment, being angry with God in that moment, or whatever other thing might come their way. Instead of deviating from the path, they choose to remain faithful to God. They choose to approach life with faith in God. And to be steadfast in the things of God. There are three places in life where faith calls us to be steadfast. This word is used throughout the New Testament. And implies the ability to stay strong and focused in tough times. So, so let, me, let me give you these words. Uh, th- these places. Two are defined as trials. And it says this is this, the same word that we read here. James chapter 1 says count it all joy my brothers when you meet trials of various kinds for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete lacking nothing. A little bit later James writes in in verse 12 blessed is the man who remain steadfast under trial for when he has stood the test he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him steadfastness in trials trials the first trial we would look at is trials in the natural course of life we all face these trials In the natural course of life, sickness in our bodies, sickness and challenges in the bodies of people that we love. Loss of life. Someone in our family, someone that we love, someone that's a great friend, their life on this earth comes to an end. And we face the grief and the questions of a loss of life. Troubles, life's troubles—just the things in life that trouble us, that make life difficult. You know, why are things going this way? Why aren't they smoother and easier? Why, why am I having such such trouble at work, or such trouble in my with my neighbor, or such trouble in life? And then, of course, the facing of our own mortality and the reality that we're not going to live forever. The steadfast face these with reality and hope. They look at them clearly. They see what they are. And they face them with the reality that this is the course of life and these things happen in the world that we live in. And they face them with hope in God that he will get me through this time that he will strengthen me through this time, that he will guide me through this time. And even when we face our own mortality, the faith in life that, hey, when this life comes to an end, the worst that's going to happen to me is I'm going to stand before a loving and forgiving God. They face it with a steadfastness that pushes fear out that pushes anger out, that pushes frustration out, that pushes doubt out because they have grown in faith and added to their faith this element of steadfastness. This is a holding on to the promises of God. I want to tell you, I, I don't know how many times if I've ever told this story in our church or not. I know I've told it many other places. One of the greatest witnesses of this I ever saw was by a man in our church, by my a guy. Many of you know Myron, Myron Moore. A number of years ago, Myron's son, Kyle, great young leader in our church, thirty-some years old, grown up in our church, faithful, faithful man. One of one of our young board member in our church, drummer. Did so many. Those of us who know knew, knew Kyle loved him. Uh, One night had a a fatal heart attack as a young man. And uh, we'd gone up to the hospital. It happened at a church event. And uh, so we'd all gone up to the hospital hoping for good news. And uh, I was in a little room with with Myron and the family and real close, probably another hundred people out in the hallway. When they came in and they told us uh, against all of our wishes in our prayers. You know, we're, we're, you're hoping to hear, hey, we've taken him up to surgery. He's had this heart attack. We've taken him up to surgery. We think there's a couple blockages. Everything's going good. He's a young man. He's going to be okay. But instead, they walk in and they look at us and they say to us, uh, this is one of the worst type of heart attacks that you can have. It's, it's the widow maker, we call it. And uh, we're sorry. He's gone. Well, there's the natural grief in that moment. Myron stood up. We wrapped our arms around each other, and we stood there and wept together. Family was weeping with each other, and we stood in that room. And, and I'll tell you, as a pastor, you're in that moment, you're thinking, I've got to give some hope to these folks. What hope is there? What am I going to say what am I going to—I'm just thinking this, and I'm saying, God, give me something to say besides, oh, you'll see him again someday. Because as much as that comforts us, that's really not what we want to hear at that moment. And After a minute, I felt Myron uh, release his hold on me. And he turned—I'll never, I'll, I'll never forget the words that he said. He looked at his family, and he said— I have taught you all of your lives to trust God. That doesn't change today. And I looked at this man and I thought, now that's the real deal. That steadfastness in the middle of something that is devastating, a person who says, you know what, I don't like any element of what's just happened to me, of what's just taken place but we're going to be steadfast in our faith with God. And I just want to call it, this is this call in our life, that yeah, we have these ups and downs, we have these things, we have these trials that come into our life at various levels of impact in our life. And what Peter is saying to us, take your faith and add to it this steadfastness where your world doesn't get rocked by this world. The second part of this trial is trials as a course of your faith. These are things that happen to us because you're a Christian. The rejection that may come from colleagues. The pressure that may come from family. Those who are around us who don't want us to live by faith and begin to put pressure on us. The persecution that may come against us because you're a person of faith. And, you know, in America we don't face this so much, but it is being faced around the world. The martyrdom of life that's going on even today around the world for people who are people of faith. When we are called, to, we, are, we are called not to give in, in the faith in the face of opposition, but to have faith in God. The steadfast face these things, listen, with a sense of honor to stand for the truth in the midst of the world. Jesus tells us when you're persecuted, when you are cursed, when you are, when you are attacked by those who are don't feel bad for yourself, but praise your Father in heaven for great is your reward in heaven that there's a reward for facing those kinds of, that kind of persecution in life and that kind of pressure in life. So I want to I call you, there may be some of you in this room, I know there are, that you live in a family that, that just despises the fact that you're a Christ follower. Be steadfast. You may walk into a place of work where there's colleagues who don't like the values and the, the character and the things that you live by. Be steadfast. Grow in the steadfast life, and when you are persecuted or rejected because of your faith, remember the promises of God. In all of this, faith is required. This unaltered, uncompromised faith, faith as the first influence of our life, this life-altering, decision-guiding faith, this hope-instilling faith, faith is required to have the fullness of life in Jesus and remember that promise won for steadfastness is the crown of life. That's an eternal gift, friends. That's a gift that you're going to get when you stand at the judgment seat of Christ and you've been recognized as a person that in the face of trials was steadfast and faithful and the crown of life is ours. In Romans chapter 5, it says this, Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Promise too in the steadfast life is life here. Hope living in us here. The strength of God growing in us here. Here, the more steadfast we are, the more we, experience, we walk in the hope of God, and the more we find freedom from, the sh- from shame, from being a person who's not been faithful to God. So we have these trials. But we also have a, the, the third one is the steadfastness in the face of temptation. James chapter 1, again, he writes about this. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. Promise 3 for steadfastness is a relationship with God. When I choose to resist temptation, when I choose to see what the Bible says about my weaknesses and my desires of the flesh that are corrupt, and I turn from them, and I repent from them, and I walk in a different way, the result of that is a growing, increasing relationship with God in all of his presence in our life, and the fruitfulness and the effectiveness of life that comes with it. It means that the words that we share and the hopes that we have for our children and our grandchildren, the influence that we want to bear over those that we love and that we care for, that steadfastness is required for fruitfulness to be there. Now, I'll tell you, Sometimes that steadfastness begins with an apology for a lack of steadfastness in the past. Going to those that we care about and those that we love and looking at them and saying, I've been studying the Word, and I just want to tell you flat out, I've not been steadfast. I've not been as faithful as I should. And I want you to watch my life and just see where I'm going now, how I'm going to live now, Because, see, that faltering destroys that testimony. And now instead of my words and my life being effective and productive, my life becomes unaffected, improductive. When we are steadfast, we remain faithful to our faith in all circumstances. In every trial, looking forward to God's promise. This is not a cry of, why is this happening to me? steadfastness rejects that frustration and stands in faithfulness to God, knowing that even in this trial, even in what I'm facing today, God's hand is upon my life, working through my life for his effectiveness and his productivity in my life that will bear forth eternal fruit. So even in the middle of this trial, I'm going to cry out for God's deliverance. I'm going to cry out for God's healing, but I am going to remain faithful with a right Spirit of faith and trust in God in all things. The persevering spirit looks at every event, positive and negative, even the worst of events, as a way to have the glory of God revealed in them and through them. The world in all its honor and all its pain is temporary. To follow God requires faith. Faith. Faith is required, that uncompromised faith, that life-altering faith, that decision-guiding faith, that hope-instilling faith. Faith is required for the fullness of God. And again, this doesn't mean we should not pray over our trials, but that we should endure as believers who have trust and confidence in God. Sometimes in life, we are called to be steadfast in the storm. I've been doing this a long time. I've seen some people crumble in the storm. Their emotions crumble. Their faith crumbles. Everything about them crumbles as a test comes upon their emotions or their health or their faith. At times I have thought as I've walked through this that what they are facing would cause mountains to be ground into dust. And yet I've seen others go through the very same type of storms. And with the strength of God with faith in God, remain steadfast. Paul, in the midst of one of his deepest trials, said, to live is Christ and to die is gain. To be steadfast, we need to grow in our knowledge of him to learn to think and feel and act like Jesus. Because remember what it says in Romans? In Romans it says, In their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. People who lose sight of God don't even know the pathway to the right way. How many of you remember back in the days before GPS? How many of you struggled in your marriages back before that day if you were married? Honey, just stop and get drunk. It's down this way someplace. I think I I got it. I think there's a guy right there who knows. I, I, I think I got it. You know, GPS came into our life and comes to us and gives us a voice telling us, Hey, you big idiot, turn around. Okay, they say it nicer than that, but that's the way I feel when I hear it. In one mile, make a U-turn, <laughs> which I'm thankful for because before it was like 30 miles, and then you figured out you had to make a U-turn. <laughs> Many a woman found herself exasperated because her husband refused to stop and ask for direction. I followed a map once that led me to a dead end because I didn't know the road had been closed, and apparently neither did the map. Friends, this is life without Jesus. This is life without the voice saying, hey, turn left here. Without the voice to say, hey, you're going to go about another mile. Then be ready to take a right. Look for this street. Don't take that street. Not only do we not know the way of peace, But the roadmaps we get handed by the world we live in, by the talking heads on TV, by the show hosts on TV that try to tell us how to live our life and what's right and wrong, they've they've got bad maps, friends. And they're passing them out to us. One wreck after another in the world we live in one misturn find ourselves miles and miles off the course we meant to be and wondering how did we get here happens to us because we don't remain steadfast in faith and remaining a people who follow after Christ Here's the biggest problem of all. Without Jesus, we cannot be ready for eternity. We can't be ready for tomorrow. We can't be ready for anything. Because we're on our own without any kind of good roadmap until Jesus comes into our life and we begin to follow him. Let's stand together today and let's pray. Tonight, we're going to take time and and pray for any needs that you have. Maybe you need a job. Maybe you need financial help in your life. Maybe you need direction in raising your children, help from God and doing that. Maybe you need new direction in your home. Maybe you're single and looking for direction in what you're going to do next in your life. Whatever it is. Health issues. We're going to take a lot of time tonight to pray for those things. So we invite you to come back and, and be a part of that. I'm going to ask the prayer teams to come down to the front today, right now. And we're going to pray for anyone here who has needs. But here's where we start at, friend. Jesus, we, we, we receive communion today to remember that Jesus died on the cross for us, gave his blood for us, that, so that we could be saved. So that we could have a new relationship with God. The reality of, of, of Scripture, that Scripture reveals to us about who God is and who we are is that God created us, but through Adam we have all become a people whose nature is a nature of sin instead of a nature of righteousness, and that works its way out differently in all of our lives. And we first and foremost need healed from that nature, and we need, we need to be born again in Jesus Christ. That doesn't happen because you go through a set of classes. That doesn't happen because you go to starting point and finish all of those and become a member of the church or any other class you may have taken any place else. That happens in a moment in time when you say, you know what? I'm going to put my faith in Jesus. I'm going to trust Him to be my Savior. And I'm going to put my faith in Him to be my Lord. And I'm going to become a follower of Christ. Now, once you become that follower of Christ, hear me. We need to be a people of faith. That means we're steadfast in the trial. We're not beat up in the trial. We're steadfast in the trial. Trials just make us more determined. Trials just build endurance in us. They just teach us to walk the path with new hope and new faithfulness. They don't sit me down in the back row moaning and groaning and crying. They take me to the altar, lifting up my need to God, but with faith in Him that He can overcome all things in my life. That He can give me strength through my worst loss. That He can give me direction when I most feel confused. That He can intervene in circumstances that seem way out of my control. I can walk before Him with hope. I'm called to be steadfast. Every head bowed, every eye closed for just a moment. If you'll say, Pastor, as I stand here today, I I need to come to this point in time in my life where I ask Christ to be my Savior, where I ask Jesus into my life. And I'd like to do that today. If that's you, I just want to ask you, raise your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me this morning. Raise it up nice and high for me. So I can pray for you today. I'm looking for hands across this room of someone to say, I need, yes, God bless you. I see that hand. I see that hand. Others today, you'll raise your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me. I see that hand. God bless you. The Lord loves you today. Others today, you'll raise your hand and say, Pray for me. You'll join these hands and say, Yes, God bless you. I see that hand. Anyone else today? God bless you. Let's all pray this prayer together today. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. And I ask you to forgive me of my sin and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I receive Jesus as my Savior. I put my trust in Him to be my Lord. Now help me to live for Him who died for me. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have a place in your area, in your life, where you need to be steadfast, we just lift your hands to the Lord right now where you stand. You're facing something, you need to be steadfast in it. Lord, you see hands across this place where we're walking through maybe the trials of life, maybe a trial of rejection because of our faith, maybe a trial of temptation. And we're lifting our hands to you, Father, with a determination to keep our faith in you and to be steadfast with a right spirit, with joy in our heart, with hope in our spirits, because we know you are in charge of all things. So, Father, we stand here today to give up any moaning and groaning and sorrow and to walk in faith and joy and hope, even as we confess our need even as we face our situation, that we're going to ask your hope and your joy to live in us because we have faith in you. Give us that strength, oh God, to be a people who are steadfast in all things so that there's no hypocrisy in our life, that we might be effective and productive knowing who you are in Jesus' name. In Jesus.